You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So, just how much... Will the Blazers lose by at Utah? 15, 20, 25, 30? Any takers? I know, it sounds harsh. But don't tell me you aren't thinking the same thing. I'm Aaron Fetches. This is the Blazer Focus Podcast coming at you, brought to you by Bymars. Wow. You know, you know, it's one thing to know the Blazers are probably going to struggle against a team like the Clippers. It's another thing when you watch it actually play out exactly how you think it might, and then kick yourself for not betting on it. But everything about this team said they were going to get spanked on Tuesday night at the Clippers, and they did 133 to 116, and it really wasn't that close. The Clippers won the first quarter 47 to 32, 47 points. At one point early in the second quarter, the Clippers led by 26. Terry Stotts called the effort by the Blazers through that first 16 minutes embarrassing. And he wasn't lying. Now, you have to give Portland credit. They came back. They battled back. They fought back. They got it down to seven at halftime. They were within two in the third quarter. But, you know, that was just too little too late because these things happen in the NBA. You get momentum swings and you're down 26. You cut it to two. You get a pat on the back for that. But, you know, it's just a matter of time before the Clippers just poured it back on and built up a big lead. Blazers had the starters out with like four or five minutes to go in the game. So it was it was pretty much a thorough beatdown. You're looking at a game where the Blazers shot 11 for 36 on threes. That's 30.6%, 40% from the field. You know, they only committed seven turnovers, five in the first quarter. So they only had two the rest of the game. That was good. But defensively, this team is just a mess. They're 29th in the NBA in defensive efficiency or rating, I should say, for a reason. They gave up 51.7% shooting to the Clippers, who shot 39% on threes and pretty much did whatever they wanted to. And the same problems popped up that we saw in the Milwaukee game where the Clippers were simply too long and too big for the Blazers' three-guard offense. Now, we're going to hear a little bit during the show from Norman Powell and Terry Stotts, who spoke after the game. I asked Powell, you know, did they have a problem with the Clippers' length? He said no. And Stott said the same thing after the Milwaukee game. But to me, it was clear. You have a 6'7 Kawhi Leonard, a 6'7 Marcus Morris Sr. You have a 6'8 Paul George out there. And they're being guarded primarily by 6'3 Norman Powell, a 6'3 CJ McCollum. Usually we saw Lillard on Patrick Beverly or Reggie Jackson. And there was some switching up there. But the bottom line is, no matter what was happening, at some point, George and or... 
Kawhi or Morris would end up on a small guard for the Blazers. Also, it's tough to shoot over guys who are four or five, six inches taller than you. Uh, you have to alter your shot. It's tough to go inside on them. So to me, there's no way it doesn't matter. That said, Terry Stott said, hey, I can't complain about the offense. We had 66 points in the first half. And he's right. The offense was able to put up some points. But the length issue is a problem. If they didn't have that issue, maybe they score 126 and maybe they give up 120. That's my point here is that they're facing teams that have better all-around athletes, more height, more length, and they're getting throttled. That's what happened to them the last two losses. They beat the, the, the Thunder in between those two games. We all know the Thunder are in rebuilding mode. So what does this mean moving forward? Well, they're going to play Utah on Thursday. The good news there is that Utah starts two one guards, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley Jr. So actually, the Blazers will have an advantage in height in the backcourt for the first time this season since, well, they played Utah the last time. And oh, by the way, they lost 120 to 100. So I don't feel like this is going to be a good matchup regardless of the height situation because Utah is a team that plays defense. They're fourth in the league in defensive rating. And oh, by the way, they're second in offensive rating. That's not a good <laughs> combination for the Blazers to say the least. All right. First things first, as we dissect this situation, let's narrow the focus down to what teams are doing to Damian Lillard. Here is Coach Stotts talking about how the Clippers got after Lillard, got the ball out of his hands, and how frustrating that is for both Lillard and the team. I saw that we scored 66 in the first half, so um, I have a hard time uh, complaining about our offense in the first half, uh, regardless of what they were doing. Obviously, they did give Dame a lot of attention. Uh, my my biggest disappointment with that is it's – you know, keeping Dame involved. I know he gets frustrated by not having clean looks and being double teamed and people taking the ball out of his hands. Um, because of that, you know, Norman had a Norman had a, a very good night. Uh, CJ had a very good night. But my biggest concern for that is, you know, it's very frustrating for Dame. Even though if the team is scoring, he wants to be involved, and uh, you know, it's up to me to help him get quality shots, and it's up to the team to help him when teams are doing that. It was definitely a frustrating night for Lillard. He was 2 of 14 from the field, 1 of 6 on threes, 11 points. That's the least amount of points he scored since he had 9 against Utah in the season opener, a 120-100 loss at home to the Jazz. So this is a reoccurring theme against certain teams where they're going to just take Lillard out as much as possible. They're going to throw multiple guys at him, make him give up the ball. And one of the reasons why the Blazers got Powell is because that gives them a second ball handler who can score off the dribble and shoot the jump shot in Powell to go along with McCullum. And it worked out for the most part because Powell did score 32 points. He also got to the line a lot, 14 of 15 free throws. McCullum had a nice night, 24 points. Uh, but they're not going to win many games without Lillard scoring. As a matter of fact, this season, when he scores under 20, they're two and four. And the two wins were basically blowout wins, like the Thunder game the other day when I think he only had 16, but he didn't play all that much, especially late. I don't think he played at all in the fourth quarter, and they were just throttling the other team, so he didn't really need to be aggressive on offense. And the other one came against the Kings. They blew them out as well. They didn't need him to be 
as you know dominant of a score. He had a lot of assists in that game. So when they need him to score and he doesn't against good teams, they've lost four times. So it's clear to any team playing them, if we take out Lillard, if we shut him down, keep him in check by doing whatever we can to disrupt him, we have a greater chance to win. Like there's just no no doubt about that. Now, I would say against certain teams, it might not work out as well because Powell can be a serious threat and you're going to face teams that don't have the offensive firepower that the Clippers do. But if the Blazers are going to beat good teams, they have to figure out a way to get the ball into Lillard's hands and allow him to have the scoring opportunities regardless of what the other team's doing. Now, Powell talked about one of the things he and CJ are able to do is handle the ball and basically, you know, be, be the point guard. That allows Lillard to now play an off guard. They're not going to double him if he doesn't have the ball most of the time. So then he can run off of screens and sort of be that, that two guard guy who's trying to get his shot, trying to get open. You give him the ball. He's only going to have one guy chasing after him and then he can get a shot off, maybe move, make a move on that one guy. It's going to be less likely that once he gets it, the other team is then going to fly to double team him as opposed to when he brings the ball up court and teams can immediately start to double him as soon as he crosses the half court line. So I think moving forward, the Blazers have to make that just part of the offense. Like just the first time the other team blitzes Lillard, the next time you come down the court, don't have Lillard bring it up. Have McCullum or Powell bring the ball up. And now Lillard is a two guard. Lillard plays six foot two, two guard, just like Allen Iverson did back in the day, just like Steph Curry has done at times. He's not the primary ball handler. He's a two guard and just let him be the, the scoring threat that he is as a, a shooter, as a, a penetrator, as anything. He can score in a variety of ways. Let him just play two guard. And no team is going to double team McCollum or Powell if they have the ball and then they get the ball to Lillard. No one's going to do that. So basically, you're not going to see many double teams. Now, a team could decide that they're going to just double Lillard off the bat and make sure that he doesn't even get the ball. You can deny him, I guess. But if, if a team does that, then now the primary ball handler is going to be in a situation where he's basically playing four on three. He can make a move on whoever's guarding him get penetration, draw another guy if he does, and then kick it out to one or two wide open guys. Like the math just doesn't work that way. So to me, that has to be the plan moving forward. Not that they haven't done some of that, but that should be the primary offense. Like just Damian Lillard, you are the two guard. (laughs) Go be Allen Iverson, get open. We'll get you the ball, get your shot. And if you do get the ball and they double you, pass it right away and someone will get a wide open look. But let's at least try and get you loose, get you open as a primary scoring threat instead of having you bring the ball up the court and initiate the offense. You are listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. One thing that was said by Powell following the game Tuesday night that was very interesting is he was asked about playing with some good defenses in Toronto. And he talked about how basically they had a lot of different defensive coverages and blitzes and they would play triangle in two. They'd play boxing one. They would just mix things up and throw different things at at opposing teams. And he also talked about how everyone was bought in on defense. Everyone sold out on defense. It meant something to the team. It was important. Let's hear Powell talk about that a little bit after Tuesday night's loss. 
uh, we hung our hats on the defensive event. You know, um, uh, Toronto, uh, Nick Nurse, and, and that coach that was really creative in different coverages, mixing it up. Um, I like to just say junking up the game a little bit, you know, giving them different looks, um, having the, the offense after the second guess and think about what the coverages are and, and uh, you know, taking blitzes off, boxing one, triangle going two, um, things like that. Uh, and guys were able to uh, buy in and, and on a defensive end, which led uh, to everybody being able to contribute on the offensive end. Um, it's just something that we got to do here, you know. I'm not saying anything about the coverages, but just uh, having that defensive mindset uh, going into the game, you know, being communicative and being tied together on a string. Um, I thought those defensive teams in Toronto were really tied together, and it's just something that uh, we have to continue to do uh, here, you know, especially in the playoffs where uh, uh, games is, is, is in the half court. You know, we can't have defensive lapses and, and starts uh, the way we did now uh, came out uh, tonight. So it's uh, something we just got to build on. So that's Powell talking about how they played defense in Toronto. He talked about how everyone bought in, how it basically was important to the team. And I could tell when he was talking about it, and especially before that clip, he kind of hesitates because I think he didn't want to make it sound like, oh, in Toronto, we did all of these things, and these are the things they're not doing here in Portland, (laughs) right? Uh, And I don't think I'm reading too much into it because the Raptors ranked second in defensive rating last season. The year before that, when they won the title, they ranked fifth. And the year before that, they ranked fifth. So Powell is used to playing for good defensive teams. Even this season, with all the problems they've had this year, they still rank 12th in defensive rating. So Powell brings a mentality that should help this team. But continually, we're still hearing the same old things. We got to work on communication. We got to work on playing together. We have to get guys healthy, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, Nurkic is back. He's not at full strength, and he did miss the game the other day, but he's on a minutes restriction, and he has helped. But at some point, man, it's like you're either going to do it or you're not. <laughs> you're either going to become solid on defense or you're not. They're, we're not even talking about them being elite or great or even average. If they could just get to bad, they're not even bad right now. They're awful. They're atrocious. A 117.5 rating defensively? That doesn't make any sense. Listen listen to the list of teams around them. The Kings, the Pelicans, the T-Wolves, the Wizards, all under 500. The Cavs, under 500. Now, the Nets are down there. They're at 25th, but they have major superstars, and they're still winning. Uh, The Blazers only have one superstar. But point is, they rank amongst the worst teams in the league in defensive rating, and that happens to coincide with a lot of these teams having horrible records. Portland does not have a horrible record because, like the Nets, they can score with anybody. But they're not on the Nets level when the Nets have all their stars, Durant, Harden, Kyrie. And then they just added Aldridge and Blake Griffin. So the Blazers have to play better defense than they are to have a chance to succeed. And right now, there's no evidence that they're going to do that. Yes, they've had stretches. You know, Dame talks about that all the time. We've played in stretches. We've looked good on defense in stretches. We've had these moments when we're good on defense. Well... You know, where are the moments against good teams? That leads me to my next point here. When the Blazers lose, the Blazers lose big. They don't mess around, man. And so let's, I went and looked at the schedule for every team in the top five, top six, excuse me, in the West. Let's start with Utah. They're number one. Utah has had one really, really bad loss. They lost 130 to 96 to Brooklyn. Bad night at Brooklyn. That's only once though. Their other losses are all reasonable losses. Denver's had two bad losses. 
They lost by 21 to the Lakers, and they lost by 24 to Toronto. Toronto shot well. They lost by 24. Things like that happen in the NBA. That's just life. The Suns have one really bad loss, 123 to 101 to the Pelicans. The Lakers have four bad losses, 122-105 to Denver. They got rocked at Utah, rocked at Phoenix, and rocked at the Clippers. However, a couple of those were after LeBron went out. So they're kind of understandable. With LeBron and Davis, they're not losing big really to anyone. They did have one bad loss, uh, 107-92 at Detroit with LeBron. Now that's only 15 points, but that was Detroit. But still, you're only talking about a few bad losses when the big two were playing for them. The Clippers have had six, excuse me, five bad losses. The really bad one to Dallas, 124-73. They lost to Utah badly, Memphis when Kawhi, with Kawhi and George. And then a couple of weeks ago, they lost by 20 at the Pelicans. But again, that's only four. Now let's go to the Blazers. The Blazers have nine, what I would call, bad blowout losses. They lost 120 to 100 at Utah, excuse me, at home against Utah to start the season. Then a few games later, they lost by 23, 128, 128 to 103 at the Clippers. They lost at home to Indiana, 111 to 87, 24 point beatdown. That was the night Nurkic went down. They lost to San Antonio, 125, 104 at home. They lost at the Bucks, 134, 106, 28 point loss. They lost at Phoenix, 132 to 100. They lost to Dallas after beating Dallas. They lost to them 132 to 92. Then they lost at home to the Bucks the other day, 127 to 109, and then the 133 to 116 loss to the Clippers on Tuesday night. What's interesting is that three of these bad losses, Dallas, Milwaukee, and the Clippers, all happened within the last eight games. So as McCullum comes back and they have the blowout loss to Dallas, they have the blowout loss to the Nets, they go on the road, they get Nurkic's back. He plays against Milwaukee. They get blown out. Then, of course, Nurkic is out, but they have the addition of Powell. They have McCullum. They get blown out by the Clippers. So when you're going into the stretch of the season where Dame's trying to win MVP, where the team's trying to win games and climb up the standings, and you're suffering these blowout losses where you're just getting destroyed by good teams, that's all just bad news. And, it's, and it speaks to the defense. If the defense wasn't horrible Even if they lost these games, they wouldn't be giving up 133, 127, 132. Like, you wouldn't be giving up those numbers. It's one thing to lose 118, 116. It's another thing to lose 133, 116. And so I, at this point, just don't buy that the defense is ever going to be even average. It's going to take – Nurkic has a knee inflammation thing now. So is that ever going to be right? Is he ever going to be 100%? Can he ever give them 30 minutes a night and be the defensive player he can be? I don't know. At this point, who really can say? So if you can't rely on him to come back and be a defensive presence and you, you got to roll with Cantor for half the game or Nurkic is just not going to be himself, then the defense is not going to improve dramatically. It still could improve a little bit. They could still have stretches where they play well. But man, having stretches of good defense against Toronto, against Orlando, you know, even against the Pelicans, you know, the 101-93 game on March 18th was probably their best defensive performance of the season because they did it against a top 10 offense, 101-93. That was impressive. But, you know, basically the Pelicans can say, well, we shot poorly. And there's evidence of that because the next night they gave up 119 to Dallas and then 132 to Dallas and then 116 to, to the Nets and even 122 to Miami during a win. You know, and Miami is not necessarily a great offensive team. They're good. So I don't know. At this point, I'm just at a loss with this defense. I'm tired of talking about it. 
but I'll keep doing so because, well, that's my job. Anyway, <laughs> that's enough for the, this podcast. I'm cranking these up now to, to a couple times a week, trying to fit them in between games as we head down the home stretch. So please be sure to tune in, subscribe, so you don't miss an episode during what's going to be a crazy last month and a half of the season. I'll be back on Monday for the podcast after the Blazers return home. They host Detroit, which automatic win. I'll call that right now. And then they play Miami. That's going to be an interesting game. And then next week, man, they've got Boston coming into town, then at San Antonio, then at the Hornets. Those are two games they also should have a great chance at winning. Then you got the Clippers again, then Denver. Yikes. Anyway, let's uh, narrow the focus down to Utah Thursday and then the weekend. And I'll be back next week with more analysis on these Blazers on the Blazer Focused Podcast. Thanks for listening.